welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast, Theo Bidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring the song, while the other host has no idea what song will be the focus until we hit play. I'm about to uh, crack a nice Sierra Nevada for the start of the show here. Mm. I've got the hot water. Mm-mm-mm. Again. You're just you're feeling it. Refreshing. Better man than I. Ah, come on. I was just talking to TJ, our, our rep at Sierra Nevada, our good friend. And uh, I was telling him it's time for me to re-up, and I'm really excited to try the crisp little thing. Ooh, yeah. Which I haven't had yet. Uh, it's, it's about time that they have uh, that they have a refreshing lager. So, yeah, I'm excited to try the easy-drinking lager. Tis the season. Yeah, it'll be a good good summer beer, so looking forward to getting that. It may be a Monday, but I have, uh, I have a song that I frequently hear on the weekends, I would say, mm. when I do hear it. A weekend-only song. Not weekend only. It's just frequently heard on the weekend, especially these days. I don't hear it. I don't hear it all the time, but when I do, I feel like it's in like a someone hit it on the jukebox, someone singing it on karaoke. Okay, so um, probably not a Coles song. It's not. I don't think it's a Coles song. It'd be funny to hear this at Coles. Maybe <laughs> I, I don't think so though. Maybe maybe a TJ Maxx. We'll see. It's a it's a fun story, fun band. I'm ex- I was excited to to learn about it, and you know what. Let's just dive right in. Here it is. Tonight's song. Oh, hell yeah. Great song. You hear this regularly on the weekends? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I said when I do hear it, I feel like it's on the okay. weekend. I don't hear it much Fair. on like a Tuesday. Was it The Darkness? Is it's right? The Darkness. Yeah, it's The Darkness. I'm pretty sure it's the only song I know by them. Uh, yeah. Um, I I probably heard some of them like when that album was out. I imagine as well. But um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll get into their their uh, level of popularity quite a bit. Um, it's a great song. It's a banger. Yeah, it's definitely a banger. It's uh, it's I believe in a thing called love by. British rock band The Darkness released in 2003. Great year. What was going on in 03? Um, oh yeah, sure. 2003. <laughs> what I what I would have been uh like a sophomore or junior in high yep. school, like a sophomore yep. maybe. You know, that was uh there there were no problems in life. Yeah. I did listen to good music. I did like this song though. I was I was pretty into the the uh emo punk metalcore etc at that time. What movie is this? Prominently featured. In. It's in a number of movies, uh, yeah. though there weren't any like super. We're, 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 there weren't any there. super iconic scenes. I didn't. I didn't really include the movie stuff. It was like, eh. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm confusing it. Uh, maybe, uh, or maybe it's just movies that you've seen a lot. The most recent one I'd seen was that Mike and Dave need wedding dates movie. With uh, I got nothing with there. uh, Adam Devine and Zach Efron. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, maybe there's something I'm missing. We got the, we got the actor's well, choice. Maybe, so maybe, I'll, maybe, yeah, I'll maybe there'll be a, a mailbag the... where someone's like, "Wait, it's in this one movie." But I, I looked it up. Didn't didn't see anything I really wanted to talk about. All right, uh, well, let's, let's, yeah, uh, let's, let's jump in. Yeah, let's talk about it. I jumped ahead. Yeah, I'm darkness. Sorry. It's all right. I didn't really do anything for that section, so it's perfect. Uh, well, as I sometimes do, I'll, I'll preface that I consulted a multitude of sources while learning about the band and the song. But perhaps the most helpful was uh, Lindsay Parker's Long Read, which was published last month, because it's the album's 20th anniversary. Oh, yeah. wow. How fitting. Yeah. How fitting. Uh, and I, I didn't know that before. I didn't think about it while I was looking looking into this song. Uh, that She wrote that for Yahoo Entertainment. It's a, it's a good piece. Brothers Dan and Justin Hawkins were born in Chertsey, Surrey, England in the mid-1970s. They're about a year apart. At a young age, they moved to Lowestoft, a coastal fishing town in Suffolk. 
Um, I'll, I'll kick things off here with the Justin and Dan's bios from the Darkness's website. Uh, each band member has their own bio. Justin's reads, It is I, Justin Hawkins. I was born in the past. I will die in the future. You lot can fuck right off. Okay. okay. Simple. Dan's, yeah. Yep. Dan's reads, Daniel Francis Rossi Hawkins is the Darkness's Captain Fantastic, a truly great guitarist, a brilliant producer, a fearless leader. The Lady Contingent love to watch Daniel writhe in a circular motion while his fingers explore the fretboard as if the rosewood was a hitherto uncharted hectare of rainforest gateau. When the guitar squeals involuntarily to his touches, there is seldom a dry seat in the house. With a loaded six-string on his back, he plays for keeps and shoots riff-laced bullets from the hip directly into your heart. Daniel and his family live inside a giant amp. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one brother could afford a publicist. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Their mother was a rock and roller, and Mm -hmm. she regaled them with tales of hanging out with the Rolling Stones in London in the 1960s. That's fun. She always described a story about Brian Jones that he'd turn up at the disco wearing a pink cat suit and he'd be dancing seductively, unzipping it and stuff. I'm really glad my mother didn't have stories <laughs> like this. Or if she does, she chose not to share them with the, with the family, which I appreciate. Yeah. Well, that description might be a little foreshadowing here for mm-hmm. the band. Uh Justin recalls that when he and his brother were kids, quote, Dan got into trucks and I got into sharks. Okay. And he says, if I weren't a rock singer, I'd be a marine biologist. But I also wanted to be a helicopter pilot and a doctor. <laughs> I could combine all three and be a helicopter flying marine biologist doctor. If like in Jaws, there are people trapped in the water, assuming that, you know, the shark didn't eat the helicopter. I could go and help. Uh, he's got grand ambitions. Uh, I like that. <laughs> they definitely do. They formed a band as teenagers in the early 90s called Empire. As they describe it, it was a prog rock inspired band with a synthesizer, which Justin played. And Dan, Darkness's guitar player, sang lead vocals. They covered everything from Bruce Springsteen to Genesis, as well as cult favorite British post-punk prog rock band Marillion. Do you know this band, Marillion? I don't think I do. I wasn't familiar either. Uh, they're often often looked upon as unfashionable in the British rock scene and in the critical arena. As in they, it's uh, problematic music or as in they don't fashion sense? Because a lot of great British rockers uh, They, um, I think they're looked upon as not very cool, not very hip. Okay, yeah. okay. Do you remember... Oh yeah, he's he's not fashionable. Looks like a uh, oh, blank on the guy's name. Who's the guy from Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Uh, Jason Siegel. Looks like a Jason Siegel character <laughs> with face paint. Yeah, he kind of does. Yeah. It's very much '80s prog rock. Big crowd. Him singing doesn't do him any favor for me. He's Jason Siegel. He's kind of like Nick Cage meets Jason Siegel. <laughs> Nick Cage or Nick Cage? I kind of, I kind of fucks with this, honestly. I can see how versus everything else going on at this time, late seventies, eighties in England, that this wasn't seen as fashionable. Yeah, I'm gonna come back to this though. <laughs> I, I think it's kind of guys coming back to terrible name yeah originally they were named Silmarillion after the book by J.R. Tolkien are you surprised that they're into Lord of the Rings and Tolkien not not one fucking bit Uh, fun fact about them they are one of the first bands if not the first band credited for crowdfunding their music via fans online they started looking to their rabid online fan base called The Freaks to help fund their album Sans record label in 1996. Hold on. Their fan base is called The Freaks. Yep. I feel like they could have gotten way more great. I definitely I think, think so. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's a Tolkien song or word something. Word. Yeah, right? But yeah, they they had crowdsourced an album in 1996. Crowdfunded an wow, album. That's pretty wild. Yeah. They crowdfunded an album in 
crowdsource would be like everybody's contributing little parts and they That's put it together like a thousand <laughs> fans. Justin, uh, who was in Empire at the time, uh, his guitar playing was heavily influenced by Queen's Brian May. And I looked extensively for recordings of Empire and I couldn't find any online. I thought, oh, thought maybe I'd find something. But after Empire disbanded, Justin got a job at an agency writing jingles. And he wrote several commercials, such as this one for Yahoo, which is where that great article was published about them. Yeah, I think I said. Hello, Grey High Street. It's raining. Is that good or bad? I know it's bad for shopping. Hiya. Your hair all rat-tailed and flopping. Mascara are running. Shopping online is much more cunning, like a smooth fox. Yeah, you do it on a box! Got a computer. My friend, I'm singing about Yahoo. Oh, yeah, because Yahoo shopping makes you feel okay! Yahoo.co.uk. Yahoo! I guess he's supposed to be like a street busker. Wow. Wait, he didn't come up with the Yahoo. I I don't believe so, no. He just sings it at the end. He sings it at the end. Yeah, but you can hear that voice. You definitely can, yeah. He also wrote one for an IKEA TV commercial. I was tickled that these were easy to track down. Narrations, men and women sat stiffly in the name of vertical poise and properness. Then came a live unlimited craze called schlumping, and people who schlumped were joyful people. It wasn't that long ago, Rad. Weird as Yeah, I, I think IKEA in particular was known for that. Being a little offbeat. This probably won't come across well, just audio. So if people want to go watch it, just search Justin Hawkins' IKEA advert. And uh, schlomping, what he's saying about is just like a way people are sitting in their IKEA furniture. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> Meanwhile, his brother Dan was playing session guitar for a number of artists, including a stint with Natalie Imbruglia. Oh. Mm. I like how you, you specifically drank after that. I did. It was like some big, stunning revelation. Hey, cheers to Natalie Imbruglia, one of my first crushes. She was great. Big fan. In 1999, Justin and Dan were out on New Year's Eve and decided to hit a karaoke bar. Or, depending on whom you ask, they were already at a party and karaoke broke out. I also read one account that it was a pub that their aunt owns. Pretty much every time I've read the story, it's different. <laughs> uh, it's, it was probably a little little blurry of a night. Um, sure. Well, Justin decided to sing a rather divisive karaoke song, Bohemian Rhapsody. Always a choice. I mean, I feel confident that he can do it. I think I would, it. uh, yeah, it's also a very long, it's a long karaoke song. song and not many people, I think, can tackle it well, but I, I have faith in our boy, Justin. No. Well, the use of his falsetto and his charisma, the performance was described as interpretive dance mm. in a few instances, Okay, inspired them to start a new band with Justin singing lead instead of Dan. Oh, that's right. Okay. Dan claims that he had said this all along. Of course he says this. And, uh. This is what led them to start a glamier, more, more boisterous rock band. Fuck yeah. They recruited drummer Ed Graham, also from Lowstoft, and bassist Frankie Pullen from Edinburgh, Scotland. Justin adopted an over-the-top stage persona and performance style, borrowing the leotards and scarves of Steven Tyler, the stage gymnastics of David Lee Roth, and a dynamic range inspired by Freddie Mercury. Which is interesting, because we're talking about a good 10, 15 years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Since these things were hot. Yes. We're talking about the late 90s. Yep. Um, they chose the name The Darkness because they said it was the total opposite of what their music was about. Okay. Good time rock. They wanted to surprise people. They eventually secured a residency at the now defunct club called The Monarch in London in the Camden neighborhood, which was known uh, for a haven for Britpop music. Just a few years before that and they began to build an audience there and 
<laughs> he stood out against the hipster scene's leather jackets in his drainpipe leans and signature cat suit. I think I vaguely remember the cat suit now that that going going back to what his mom was saying about Brian Jones in the cat suit. Uh, the band spent several years playing pubs around London where they made fans of pub goers and enemies of the music press. <laughs> okay. Years later, Justin said, the darkness is a title that never really fit the band. I think there's a bit of an expectation when you hear the darkness and everybody's got an idea of what it is, but nobody really knows apart from us. And then he goes on to say that he considered changing the band name multiple times throughout their career including after they're already famous. <laughs> Simply a character, uh, so, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, their cult following begged them to record music, and they released a three-song EP in August 2002 via indie label Must Destroy Music, which had <laughs> released music by fellow early 2000s rock bands The Von Bondies and The International Noise Conspiracy. I read that they entered and won some big British talent contest, but I looked everywhere to try to figure out what that was, <sighs> and I got nothing. Love a good talent uh, show. I know. Uh, I don't know if it was like a radio thing, a TV thing. I don't know. Battle of Bands. But Justin did participate in the Eurovision Song Contest in 2007. Oh. After their EP came out, uh, there's a weekly magazine and CD like a like a compilation CD that was for UK music like industry people. It was called the Tip Sheet, and uh, a few folks that ran the Tip Sheet they heard about the band on the Tip Sheet message board, and then they featured their song "Love Is Only a Feeling" in the January 2002 issue in CD. Okay, music industry Tip Sheet. Yeah, honestly, pretty cool. They're finding bands like this and just, like, telling people about it. It could maybe help them. This song does feel a little more like what was happening at the time, musically. Like, I could, I could hear this alongside some of the other bands. It's not as over the top as the song we were talking about. Yeah. Well, the falsetto is there. Yes. The falsetto sure. is there, man. After that, the band scored opening gigs for Deep Purple and Def Leppard. Oh, and they yeah. played South by Southwest in Austin, Texas in 2003, which started some buzz here in the States. According to uh, A&R executive Nick Raphael, uh, he says there couldn't have been less of a buzz <laughs> and only two record labels showed any interest in them. <laughs> oh, wow. And he says that the lack of interest he thinks was that the business as a whole thought they were uncool. In fact, people were saying that they were a joke and they weren't even real. Now, funny. Cause I would have totally imagined a band like this coming out of South by and everyone being like, this is the coolest thing I saw. So unique. Keep Austin weird. Yeah. I think the, the, the buzz that I had mentioned was more fans and maybe like maybe some U S critics. Uh, but I guess labels in the UK weren't, they weren't super into it. So the band recorded their own debut album and they used the money that Justin got from Ikea oh, wow. for the jingle. And they recorded Permission to Land, their debut album. And then they were, they were shopping the album around to labels. Oh, yeah. So they're like, hey, we already have an album done. You don't even have to do anything. And eventually Atlantic Records bit. Oh. And they signed them. And agreed to put out the record. And their whole thing was, I mean, I kind of put two and two together. They weren't getting a lot of interest in labels giving them in advance to make a record and put it out. But they said it was like, this is what we're going to do. Do you want to be a part of it? Like, here's the album. You into this? Uh, we don't want you to develop us. We don't want you to have any influence on us. <laughs> we're just going to make this record and somebody will put it out. So uh, potentially got pretty lucky with Atlantic taking that chance let's say so yeah um well this brings us to our topic at hand i believe in a thing called love the song was originally on the independently released three song ep i mentioned earlier yep. and it was actually the title track it was the i believe in a thing called love ep huh? all three songs from the ep were re-recorded and included on their debut album permission to land which came out july 7th 2003 on atlantic 
Well, let's check out the original EP version of the song because I would think that you haven't heard it, um, and it's it's a little different. We'll listen to the album version. Uh-huh. This is the original, I believe, in a thing called Love. By I think the guitar is a little meatier, a little crunchier. That's a little more crunchy. Yeah, and the the drums are way more up front. And yeah. They sound like more it. like a live kit. Yeah, I like it too. Uh, it's a little slower too, I think. There's definitely the pre-chorus that the guitar is a lot slower. Yeah, I think it's generally the tempo is a little slower. Uh, the, oh, the groove's a little different. A lot of YouTube comments that say that they people prefer this version. I mean, but I understand why. Yeah, you would want to really glam it up. Totally. Yeah, this one's definitely. It's, That's cool. It's uh, oh, yeah. yeah, it's a little rougher. Yeah, I like it too. Yeah, the drums, um, the drums definitely make it a little more in your face. Yeah, definitely. They're way up in the mix and they're recorded way differently. Um, so as the story goes, and I pulled this from several interviews, uh, including one in The Guardian, one in American Songwriter, Dan Hawkins, a guitarist, and then Frankie Pullen, the bassist, were living in a flat together in London. And the whole band was over, writing songs late at night. They were sitting at what they called the Table of Truth. Mm. This was a round wooden table in the middle of the flat, where everyone was safe to share their craziest ideas. <laughs> Uh, Justin said that Dan's actual good taste tempered all of the outlandish things they'd come up with. Uh, and Justin would respond best to things that made his brother Dan say, you can't do that. So okay. we'll push and pull. Uh, Dan remembers them all having a conversation of, why don't we just write the stupidest song ever? <laughs> and they made up this chorus line and they just kept singing it over and over in a joking way. Uh, I, I'm picturing them. Yeah, I'm picturing them singing Just Listen to the Rhythm of My Heart over and over again. Yeah, because if you sang it in a a cheesy 80s way, we'd be talking about it on the Rupert Holmes episode, making fun of it probably. (laughs) Yeah, here we are. Yeah. It was actually Justin, the vocalist, who came up with the main guitar riff, the iconic guitar Mm -hmm. riff. Uh, He had it rolling around in his head, and when he played it for them at the Table of Truth, Everybody was laughing because they thought it was preposterous. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, the song is. Yeah, it totally is. Uh, Justin uh, said that he was on a pathological quest to put the word love in every single song. <laughs> he said he felt like bands at the time were overly serious and were afraid to directly address love. And he said he was thinking about all the iconic songs and that they love, like all the classic rock songs he said they all had the word love in them and no one's doing that anymore and i was thinking nobody except maybe coldplay at the time um so then he started singing verses to the song and dan helped piece it together into something cohesive about the first verse justin remembers uh the very first thing that i said when i opened my mouth was all the steering wheel stuff which is the can't explain all the feelings that you're making me feel. My heart's in overdrive and you're behind the steering wheel. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And he said he was thinking about an old car that his dad had restored, which had an overdrive button that made it go a little faster or put more fuel into the engine. It wasn't supposed to be about guitar distortion. It was more a button on the dashboard of love. <laughs> he said one for the petrol heads. And then he said he enjoyed pairing feelings with feel. He thought that was a really fun way of singing it. I like it. Yep. Dan said they thought they'd all feel embarrassed to finally play the song live in a practice space. (laughs) Uh, But when the chorus hit, they were all four members were singing along and laughing. And they looked at each other and said, oh, fuck, this is it. It's staying. Well, it's the thing. It's a fun song. You can't help but not get into it. So what they're feeling, we all felt. It's about to hit. Mm -hmm. When the band first played the song for their manager, they did not expect his reaction. They thought the song was so silly that it would live as a deep cut or a fan favorite. And the manager said, that's a hit. 
Good manager. He knew. Expect it. Yeah. Oh, that's also that's how the story yeah, goes true. now. I'm real curious how it actually went. They did indeed record the original from the EP on September 11th, 2001. Hmm. Which is wild. Interesting. To be fair, they were six hours ahead of us. Yeah. So. I mean, across yeah. <laughs> across the pond, this is what was happening. This song was being recorded for the first time, which is crazy they to think didn't. about. Love is coming out somewhere when bad things are happening to you. Yeah, else. right? I, I like that. I like that. Um, especially interesting after listening to the original, Dan said that for the album version, he spent a long time in the studio getting the perfect tempo and making sure the drums were spot on. He also said that he recorded the main guitar part 200 times. Damn. They actually released two singles prior to that that did pretty well in the UK. Okay. And then uh, they released this song and it uh, it shot up super quick. It blew the band up completely. I think the first couple songs went to like 20-something on the charts, which is really good for a debut record. Um, so they made a music video for the EP version of the song. So let's watch that. This is the first music video. They, this is their first music video. It was self-funded by the band. Beyonce. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty <laughs> primitive. It's total camcorder. I don't know how well you remember the, the video. I don't at all. Remember the, the second video. No, I don't remember. This is weird. <laughs> yeah. It's being dressed in the bathroom by a man in a top hat. Emerge from the bathtub. He's rubbing his nipples on a leopard print couch. <laughs> oh, this uh, this moment where the guitar player pops out of the closet. Oh, it's so good. That strikes me as like a Foo Fighters. Style. Oh, totally reminds me of uh, the My Hero video. Yeah, yeah, totally. And Foo Fighters were doing those like camcorder videos. It's great because like. The quality is so shitty, but the choreography and editing yeah, are all executed brilliant. Very well. They're all so good. Yeah. A lot of uh a lot of very small underwear. <laughs> but they made a second video. Atlantic Records. When, when they got that Atlantic money. Atlantic gave them some money. They got that label cash. And this is what really launched the band in the U.S., and that was the point. Literally, they said we got to make a video that's gonna that's gonna blow you up in the U.S. So yeah, that's what they did. Uh, they gave the band free reign again, and they had the same director direct this video, oh. and he went on to direct uh, the iconic Coldplay "Yellow" video. Interesting. Yeah, around the same time. I remember this vividly because it was on all the time on every video channel. So far, it feels like uh, blue. It's, it's Eiffel 65. Yeah, start with the spaceship. Yeah. Let me know if you notice anything about this video. Oh, we're starting in a bathtub again. Yes, we are. Wait, I don't remember this. Mm. I love the monster. It dries him off. Yeah. Uh, okay, I do remember this part. Yeah, on the bed. The, like, Austin Powers kind of bed. I will say, I think this was coming out when I would probably getting my driver's license and yeah having a little more freedom so i remember hearing the song all the time but i wasn't sitting at home watching trl as much as I yeah I totally like 11 and 12 years yeah. old you know uh i do remember driving driving around with friends and we would all try to hit that high note oh uh, you have to like in the back seat like a wayne's world scene <laughs> and the the guitar solo is so great if you notice the the guitarist uh popped out of a door as well there's a lot of similarities. Yes. So they basically like recreated a lot of that video, but with all these crazy effects and practical effects, actually. And a giant crab. So the giant crab, um, Dan says it meant something to them. It was a reference to when you've taken lots of cocaine and your eyes are basically on stalks like a crab. It's appeared on numerous occasions throughout our career. We've always had an affinity with sea creatures, possibly because we're from Lowestoft in Suffolk, which is a fishing town. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he's running down the hallway like he is in the other one. Yeah, a lot of similarities. I love that it like I love that it like follows the same plot, but it's like, hey, we have money, so let's do it. Oh, he, he's singing into the what is it? A uh, almost looks like a 
fire extinguisher, but also yeah. maybe a, a sausage piece of meat. <laughs> Got a big wall of marshals, which will come back in that first video. Oh, yeah. There's only a, a few marshals in the first video. <laughs> Got some blue flames happening here. There are blue so we're, flames, we're keep, which is like... Keeping they, some uh, they, weird apple effect. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't do the little UV effect, but they did that. I, I think it's great that they're like, same director, let's do this again, but with a bunch of money. Yeah. And they said they wanted like all the creatures and stuff to be practical because they didn't want CG, which makes me think that other video mm, okay. on the cliff is probably legit. So this part at the end, it's not CG. Oh, there's a... Uh, no, it's a real... It's a real uh, Oh, it is, you're right. Monster thing, yeah. There is electric like, coming out of their guitars. There is. That's definitely a computer effect. Right, but I mean, they, they a holdover from the first video. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So there it is. The two videos that are kind of one and the same. Um, the guy who did the visual effects in this, all the practical stuff, um, he is, his name is John Friedlander. He is the son of the... Um, visual effects designer of the Doctor Who series. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. I read so much about this song, and there wasn't really... I mean, I think their story is already pretty remarkable. Uh, but, like, I think once they're on Atlantic, Atlantic just started releasing singles, and they did well, and then this one just totally took off. And I think it took off because it's... Yes, it was a very strange song, to be popular at that time because of the way it sounded. But it's so infectious. But I think so. that's what did it. Yeah. That's what did it. It's nostalgic, but it's also fresh. Something they said, and I think this plays into why it got popular as well. There's a, a long Guardian piece from 2003, from the year that they broke out. And they like followed them around on tour for a few days. There's a bunch of crazy-ass stories in there. It's definitely worth I'm reading. Sure. I mean, they were like at their peak party. And uh, they had just played in New York. And Blender, remember that magazine? Yeah, yeah. They gave them $800 to spend on an evening out so they could write a story about it. <laughs> okay. And they said, most bands go to a lap dancing club or something. That's what Frankie, the bass player, said. And he said that that lacks imagination. So we got a donkey. <laughs> I don't know why we chose a donkey. There's probably something subliminal about that. We put darkness t-shirts on it and paraded around outside New York Fashion Week. <laughs> And he said, maybe the darkness are like a donkey. Cumbersome, againly, awkward, stubborn too. And he says that New York loved them because he thinks New York bands are a bit boring. He said, wow. take the strokes. It's all a bit naff. <laughs> With us, there's much more of a backbone there. More of a nobility. We stand alone. Love it. And it says that they didn't know if he was being serious, but Justin Hawkins said... My idea of what a frontman is was not the same as what most people would be trying to make in the music trade in the 90s, early 2000s. The stuff that you would aspire to do then would be the Verve or Radiohead, you know, a bit more serious songwriting done in a, quote, cool way. And that really wasn't what I do. Love it. And that had me thinking, like, this is the time where we're, like, coming out of the new metal, rap metal, post-grunge, there's still some of that yeah. for sure, and, like, the pop punk and it's getting into more of like the New York City stuff, like Strokes, TV on the radio, Interpol, yeah, yeah, yeahs, which is all like, it's all great, but it's not quite as yeah. fun uh, in the same way. And then if you're thinking about the UK, it's like Arctic Monkeys, Block Party, Franz Ferdinand, the Libertines, Kasabian. Like, this is totally different than any of that shit. And I think it's kind of a reaction to that like kind of self-serious stuff that was happening and i i think that kind of plays into it and also i feel like it's you know all music is cyclical it was probably of course about time that we had some glam rock come back and you know that there were 30 40 year olds who you know were like hell yeah this, this reminds me of my childhood the only thing i could really think of at that time and we've seen some things since, but at that, maybe shortly after that, that was popular, that was doing the same thing was Wolf Mother. Oh, yeah. It was like a total Zeppelin, you know, reincarnate sort of thing. But it didn't have that, like, glammy, fun party yeah. vibe to it. Like, this is, this definitely has way more of that. I feel like this has um, that first. And then it's decent music as well. 
you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun I mean, first. It's kind of what like uh, songs uh, later. Buster Poindexter was doing. It was like I'm playing the character. The music yeah. is kind of secondary in a way, and that's okay. This song hit number two in the UK yeah. on the on their top chart. It didn't make the Billboard Hot 100. No shit. So surprisingly. I was going to have you guess and then say, oh, it didn't make it. But that's, come on. That's me. Wow. Um, I I read a couple times that folks said it did. And I I was on on Billboard.biz looking everywhere. And it definitely didn't. Um, That's so surprising. No evidence of it. It I feel like I heard the song everywhere. And I'm not that cool. I wasn't that underground. You know, like I, I got a ton of rock radio play. It was uh, number nine at alternative radio. It peaked at number nine. Okay. It peaked at number twenty three on mainstream rock radio, uh, and then number thirty five on top forty pop. When it peaked on those, did you did you pull a week from the Hot One Hundred? I didn't pull from the Hot One Hundred. See what was- I wanted to pull from a chart that it was on, and the album made it to number 36 on the Billboard 200 albums chart. So I thought we okay. would we would look at the Billboard 200 and see what's going okay. on here. So I do have the top 10. Um, I actually tried to pull because the, the highest charted was on the alternative radio chart. You can't pull those old ones. They just don't have them. Um, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. But uh, Billboard 200, the week that this peaked, um, number 10 was Iman, I don't want you back. I wasn't that sounds familiar, familiar with this Iman? at first glance. And then I looked up. He had a this he's a he's like kind of an R and B singer. Here, I'm sending it to you. His big song was called Fuck Is It, Iman? I Don't Want You Back. And I remember I'd seen this video on on TV. Oh, hell yeah. You remember this? I, I totally yeah. remember this song. Well, he, he had a top 10 album. I kind of forgot about the song and also forgot that it's called Fuck It. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the it says fuck a lot. Yeah. It's like an entitled. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Okay, let me see. I don't know what it was like on the radio or on TV, rather. This is the, the real version. Uh, number 16. Oh, really? Yeah. The song big. They just, bl- they just blank it out, or did he say like "funk it"? I think probably just yeah, it. Or like the, one of the worst radio edits ever. Forget you, the CeeLo. Oh yeah. Number nine is the Twista album Kamikaze. Oh yeah. Twista was big at the time. Chicago's own. Number eight, the very best of Cheryl Crow. Okay. Uh, and I think I think she had a hit from like you know. You would do a greatest hits album, and then you'd have one new song on there. I feel like she had a hit on there. <laughs> Sounds uh, like it's familiar. N- number seven, I, th- I believe the debut album from Josh Groban. Oh, big album! You raise me up. Big album. Yep. Uh, number six, another huge album. Outcast, Speaker Box, Love Below. Yeah. Uh, number five, When the Sun Goes Down, Kenny Chesney. Ooh, let's go. <laughs> Uh, number four, Kanye West, called Dropout. Big one. Massive. Yeah. Yep. Uh, three, Fallen by Evanescence. Mm, that was... So that the new the new metal thing is yeah, still yeah. happening for sure. Big song. Uh, number two, Jessica Simpson in this skin. Sure. Yeah, I feel <laughs> like that was probably her last big album, two thousand four. Yeah, I was gonna say that seems uh, a little late. She's yeah. doing that Nick Lachey had, show at this point. She probably had the TV show at that point, yeah. And then number one, Feels Like Home, Nora Jones. Mm, big album. Big. Big crossover. I mean, everything. Throwback to what Dave Holmes was saying. Starbucks album. That big was a Starbucks, Starbucks CD. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We got Cole songs. We've got Starbucks CDs. Uh-huh. Definitely. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny that the band actually pointed out themselves that they found it amusing that their song, I Believe in a Thing Called Love, peaked at number two in the UK, never made it to number one. The song that beat them to number one was the Black Eyed Peas and Justin Timberlake's Where's the Love? Oh, shit. That's funny. <laughs> I, I liked this uh, this little bit that Dan said. He said that they arrived in Canada to start a tour of America of North America. 
a month after permission to land had been released and it did that did hit number one in Canada. And he said they never considered themselves a singles band. And that was kind of a problem for him. And then he said that in Canada, like that's kind of when they realized like, Oh my God, this song is huge. And we're huge. Like I thought it was funny that they they're huge in the UK. They go to Canada and they're like, Oh, whoa, yeah, we're here. We have a number one album. I feel like everything we cover is number one in Canada. It does feel that way. I mean, I know that only stuff that Canada feels like is like the Canadian music industry feels like is going to be a sure shot. They really push there because they can only push a certain percentage of American music. So right. maybe in Canada, they were like the darkness. People are going to love this. I just think it's funny that like it's usually like Canada, Australia, Australia. Yeah. Are always yeah. number one. They get it. But then it's like, okay, well, what about all the songs that didn't get number one? The other stuff is number one. I assume that went number one Canada too. Maybe not. I don't know. And I always think about uh, Canada is definitely true too, but like Australia has so much good music all the time. And I'm like, damn, this stuff's going to number one, even though they've got all that good shit over there. But maybe, maybe it just cycles out quicker. Yeah. There also just aren't as many bands sure. in those countries. Um, they also had another moment where, uh, it, which also goes back to our, our uh, conversation with Dave. Uh, they played this song with Robbie Williams at Nebworth. Oh. And they said, shit, we're famous. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I didn't realize how big Robbie Williams yeah, was. Yeah, one of the biggest pop in stars UK. in UK history. And they were at Nebworth. I mean, the biggest biggest venue that you can play. Wow. Their debut album, Permission to Land, it did debut at number one on the British charts. It was the first time a new act had achieved such a feat since Coldplay. Hmm. So, All right. Yeah. The success of the album led them to do heavy touring including the european version of metallica's summer sanitarium tour which i mean if you're a metal influence band and your first big support tour is with metallica that's pretty killer um they headlined some festivals um they won three brit awards best group best rock group and best album and they won two kerrang awards for best live act and best british band However, the song had a couple more moments in the U.S. later on. It peaked at number one on the U.S. iTunes rock chart okay. in 2012. Hmm. And number 67 on the Billboard Hot Digital songs. Because Justin Hawkins appeared in a Super Bowl this. commercial for Samsung like oh, yeah. singing this song. I remember this. Yeah, let's, yeah, check, yeah. let's check it out. Want to see a picture of my cat? No. So everyone's waiting in line for the new phone. Whoa, whoa, whoa! What I is that? I very much remember this. Here. It's the new Samsung Galaxy. Note. Oh, they're they're all waiting for the pin? iPhone, and someone brings over a Samsung this is phone. Awesome. So like, check this yeah. out. Samsung. Yeah. Again. I don't know what I believe in anymore. I know what I believe in. Come to the in. pen. And they say, "I don't know what I believe in anymore." And then here comes Justin yes. in his full cat suit getup. Going back to his roots, being a uh, an ad man. That's true. That's so true. It, yeah, he really brought it full circle. I didn't even think about that. It's wild. Everyone's partying. There's a it's gospel a, choir singing it. Yeah, it's such a big Super Bowl commercial. It's totally a Super Bowl commercial. It's, yeah, you, know, you reserve like a quarter of the budget just to go fucking ape wild at the end. Yep. Bring a couple extra stars in. There's a guy in a cannon. There's a guy in a cannon. Wow. <laughs> that was, that, wow. That's something right there. Oh, that's something. And then it had another resurgence in 2016 when it was featured in an Apple commercial. Oh. <laughs> and it's this commercial stars somebody you may recognize. Yeah, it's kind of funny that the Samsung commercial allowed it to sell a lot on iTunes. Yeah, right? So <laughs> Apple's still getting funny. their bag either yeah, way. They are. <sighs> I love a quiet night at home. Funny. And then oh, it Taylor was, Swift. Yes. This commercial features Taylor Swift putting on music on her iPhone and she picks this song and she dances and lip syncs to it in her living room. I don't remember this. I vaguely remembered it. Also love Taylor with short hair, I gotta say. I know. It's like a full minute of her just dancing and singing to the dark years. 2016. That feels like uh, forever ago, but it really wasn't that long ago. Like that's all the commercial is. (laughs) Apple definitely did this for a bit. 
Look at that style. Yeah, people like just dancing. Yeah. Like really just saying you can have music everywhere in right. your head. Yeah. Dance like no one's watching. That's uh, okay, yeah. yeah. So uh or I guess it was for Apple Music. So frontman Justin Hawkins told Billboard when this came out. I didn't think we could get any sexier, but somehow Taylor <laughs> raised the bar. And then he uh, said yeah. that she is an old fan. He said that she oh. used to come to their shows and they'd met before. And he said, it's good to see she hasn't given up on her roots. Oh, I love that. So I don't know. Maybe they let her pick the song. That's what she picked. Oh, I'd love to know the story there. I know, right? The album also features songs about a mythical hellhound, a lover's spat, and genital warts as the today show pointed out <laughs> well, it's very similar to a lot of taylor swift albums so. <laughs> yeah right uh Makes the, sense the band was also getting as you would imagine a lot of comparisons to the satirical band spinal tap mm-hmm. Makes sense uh and the band kind of resented that they said they were kind of tired of the comparisons and if people were doing that they didn't know what they were about because they're not a made-up band but i kind of thought they were a bit tongue-in-cheek at the thing when i was i i mean the satire up. was rich for yeah. sure uh i think when i first saw it i didn't know if i should love or hate it like it was like uh, and then it, you just give up you just give yeah. in that's it it's nothing you can do it's one of those songs but they i say it's not like a novelty band kind of like, is it kind of is and since then we've had like what tenacious D. What are like novelty acts have there been that are? Um, I feel like I'm blanking. I feel like Tenacious it. D is like kind of close to this a little bit. Yeah, uh, definitely more comedic, way more comedic, but like definitely that like rock revival, horns in the air, you know, kind of cheese factor stuff. Yeah. Um, I was think Steel Panther, I guess is a oh, good definitely. comparison, yeah, but yeah. they didn't really have any hits. They're just like a big live band. Yeah, but they're um, absolutely this. yeah. Yeah, I think um, maybe like Foxy Shazam. Uh, the fact that the darkness, that each of them doesn't go by a weird name. That's true. Makes it less novelty than all the rest that's of That's actually really true. All those other bands kind of do that. Where's the darkness now? Still touring, baby. They are still touring. YouTube, underneath one of the videos. Oh, really? Like Show me tour dates. Well, in Boston in October. That's the closest they're getting. They, they're <laughs> not doing New York? According to YouTube, man, I don't oh, know. Oh, I feel like they are. They have a I'm big sure tour coming up. Um, I'm sure they are. However, uh, it's been it's been a little bit of a long road for them. They're since... they playing Terminal Five. Oh, there you go. For all you people, I will not be seeing you there because I don't go to that venue anymore. I'm too old for that shit. But uh, <laughs> have fun. If the uh, the show gets moved to uh, Brooklyn Steel, maybe I'll be there. <laughs> I might go. Actually, it could, could be kind of fun. I, I, I think it'd be totally fun. Yeah, I, I did want to mention that they are they are touring now. They're doing well, uh, but it's it's been a little bit of a road for them since uh, since the days of permission to land. The Yahoo article about the 20th anniversary of the, of the record it reads: the next three years after permission to land unfortunately played out like a particularly harrowing VH1 behind the music special, as the darkness's success was followed by actual darkness. Hawkins' struggles with substance abuse and disordered eating, an underrated but rush-released sophomore album that was considered a disappointment at the time, and a bitter band breakup that lasted until 2011. So, they released another record. Uh, it's funny, because they point out, they're like, went platinum in the UK and gold in the US, like, but they still considered, like, the label considered it a flop, so we didn't have a huge hit. Oh, wow. Uh, and they were like, if we did those numbers now, it'd be massive. Um but yeah, they broke up after that, and uh, you know there were some side projects, some solo projects, and yeah, Justin needed to get clean. Justin kind of alludes to that, like he was playing this party animal rock star and kind of turned into it himself. I mean, I could definitely uh, see that. Yeah, and they, I mean, that Guardian article from '03 is fucking crazy, like just crazy shit. I'll have to read it. That they were just partying. Partying super hard, doing funny, crazy stuff, and I think it just caught up with them. And he said, like, you know, classic, the highs were highs, the, the lows were low. Probably would be know? the same way if I was a rock star in the early 2000s. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, and they were playing these personas of bands that, you know, they were expected to be this this crazy band. And uh, he did say that he spent 150,000 pounds on cocaine. <laughs> Jesus. So it got a little wild. Um, but the band's been back together now for a few years. They've released some records. Their most recent record uh, came out in 2021. The record prior to that, I must point out, was called Easter is Cancelled, and it's got like a crucifixion <laughs> thing on the cover. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I should mention that the current iteration of the band is all the original members, except the drummer, the new drummer, is Rufus Tiger Taylor, the son of Queen drummer Roger Taylor. Whoa! Big full circle moment. Wow. The band started because he sang a Queen song at karaoke, and now Roger Taylor's kid is in the band. That's cool. So, yeah, and it seems like they're uh, happy to have him there and they, you know, Damn. talk about it all the time, how cool they think it is. Okay. So uh, the band will go on the Permission to Land 20th anniversary tour in the U.S., Canada, U.K. and Europe this fall. Uh, and according to uh, the profile, Justin Hawkins is now in a great place. He's happy, healthy, 17 years sober and making new fans, not just as a rock star. But uh, he has a popular podcast. Oh. Yeah. Uh, it's a podcast and YouTube channel called Justin Hawkins Rides Again. And he says uh, his description of it is uh, discussing what it's really like to be a part of the lauded and loathed music industry. Talking about the pitfalls of being part of this fickle business, how to navigate it, the highs and lows, and what the future could hold for this volatile and beautiful art form. And he has guests on and they talk about all things music industry. Oh, yeah. Justin also has had some high-profile uh, opportunities recently. Uh, he did sing at the big Taylor Hawkins tribute concert at, at Wembley. Um, I think I yeah, he that, was actually, yeah. he was recently on The Masked Singer. Yeah. Oh. And he also... The Masked Singer in, in the UK or over here? In the UK. They, they got him. We got fucking Julianne. Yeah, right. cool. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, little cooler, little cooler than Giuliani. Um, and uh, I, I didn't realize this was him. I definitely listened to this. On De La Soul's final studio album, Anonymous Nobody, he sings a, a hook on it. Yeah, cool. Here's the, here's the De La Soul. I assume he's playing guitar too. I listen to that Dale Sober shit. Oh, Dale Soul's great. All their stuff's on streaming. I wasn't on there for a long time. Because there's a label dispute. In March 2005, Q Magazine placed I Believe in a Thing Called Love at number 47, and it's listed the 101 greatest guitar tracks. Uh, it's also yeah. placed 493 on the 500 greatest songs since you were born from Blender. <laughs> <laughs> That's a uh, this one actually, I th- I thought was pretty notable. Pitchfork put it at 276 on their 500 top tracks of the 2000s. I'm like Pitchfork, I mean, getting down on the darkness. I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, seems like they would hate this. Pit- Holy shit! Pitchfork gave this album an 8.4. Wow! So they were down on the darkness. They definitely. Wow! Damn. That's like a that's like a arcade fire like uh, Fiona Apple score. Damn! Damn! A few other lists. Notably, this is a big one too. VH1. The uh, they said it was the ninety fourth best hard rock song of all time. Whoa! Huge for VH1 too. I'm sure VH1 played the shit out of this video. Yeah, yeah I can see that. Definitely. Yeah. Um, in July 2019. I can't believe it's in chart. I know. The song? I feel like Hot 100, like, sales. They may not have. Well, it was at a funny time where people were starting to download, like, on iTunes and stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely probably still the song. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. So it was. Uh, I, I, I don't know how that didn't happen i mean i was thinking i'm sure a lot of pop stations didn't want to play this but then it was like on the top 40 chart like 35 no definitely got enough so i don't know why i don't know why this and the sales didn't 
maybe the sales didn't happen at the same time. I don't know. I just didn't get that Hot 100 magic. Looking back on the song, uh, Dan and Justin have some things to say. Dan says that he believes he's played this song 4,000 times. <laughs> And he says, every tour we did, we'd soundtrack with it as well. Three times a day, five times a week. That's surprising. What's surprising is how big it is internationally. We played that song to 400,000 people at a free festival in Poland. And every single one of them was going crazy and singing it back to us. We played to a full stadium supporting Lady Gaga in 2011 in Sao Paulo. And it was the same. It's like wherever we go, everything about the song pushes positivity. It just feels great to play. Dude, I would go through the darkness and Lady Gaga in Sao Paulo. Yeah, right? What a show. Um, not surprised that she's in yeah, him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Justin said, my goal is always to get every pair of hands in the air, and often that was the case. We've seen a lot of hands in a lot of different airspace. Every time we play it, the place kicks off, and I feel relief because I can play it on autopilot. Even now, people sing it at me in the street. <laughs> I'll never have anything but abiding affection for that song. Fuck yeah. And it, he said that whenever they're making the set list, like, they always that's always the first song they write on there because they're going to put it somewhere and he says it's always a joyous moment like they're they're putting the big hit on there love it um though i will we'll point out they had several other hits in the uk so definitely in their home country they have some other songs people are excited about i gotta spend some more time with the with the catalog uh i will also say that when i (laughs) first searched this song uh when i was beginning my research i noticed that the two most common questions were who originally sang I Believe in a Thing Called Love? Because people assume it's a cover. Yeah. And how old is I Believe in a Thing Called Love? Because <laughs> they're probably like, ah, came. someone in a bar is like, that song is from like 1987. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. They look it up and it's 03. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a fun song, fun episode. Uh, yeah. Now I'm going to listen to the catalog and I'm, now I want to get them on the show. Yeah, let's see if we can get Justin on the show. It's not often we have a. Uh... An artist we cover that also has a podcast. Yeah, they become podcasters, but we have a mailbag. Uh, I actually think uh, I'm I'm glad it's coming up on this one because uh, we're we're talking about an artist who's a podcaster. Who knows? Maybe they'll maybe they'll hear this. We haven't really had any artists like really respond to us, but we did get a message from David Johansson's wife. That's right. About the podcast. Uh, Mara messaged us on Instagram. And uh, at first I was like, this person sent us a lot of messages. Who is this? And I clicked on her profile and I remember she's in the movie that I watched, the Scorsese movie. I was like, oh my God, that's Mara. That's David Johansson's wife. She, She messaged us. She listened to the episode. I don't know how she found it. Maybe she's got a Google alert going. Um, but Mara said, I listened to your podcast. She said quite a bit of information, some of which is misinformation. (laughs) She said, whoops, however. And uh, the one thing she wanted to point out was that uh, she, I I guess when I was talking about the, the movie, I had mentioned that uh, he was like doing a lot of his own songs in the cafe Carlisle and doing some covers and stuff. She did say that every song in the movie was written by David. He didn't do any covers. And she said that was the whole trope of the show was it was Buster Poindexter singing the David Johansson songbook. So like everything from his whole career. (laughs) So a lot of information in that movie. uh, And I watched it while I was researching. So I must have missed that. But I'm glad that Mara pointed it out. But she said, nice work. Sent some emojis. Um, She said that. She thought that we'd like to know that one little bit after all of our research. So, I love that. Yeah. Very cool. Well, hopefully she's still listening. But thank you, Mara, for listening. Yeah. Reaching out. I told her I would let everybody know about that. So wanted to mention it. Very cool that she that she reached out. I thought that was pretty neat. So yeah. I'm glad she listened to it and enjoyed it. It's awesome. And we enjoy it when anyone reaches out. So please yes. send us our misinformation. But better than that. Share the episodes. Rate us on, on your, your podcast listening device of choice. Leave comments. All the good stuff. All the good stuff. It all, it all, it all works. And uh, you know what? I say everybody should just crank a little darkness. Let loose. Get silly. That's what, that's what they to, want uh, you to do. I'm listening to Marillion, too. 
that, that what the band name was? <laughs> I love that you're into that because I saw that. I was like, this is not my thing. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to tell you if it is or not. I'm going to dig in. That's a wrap on this episode of You Wanted a Thing. Thanks for listening. Good luck getting that song out of your head. If you enjoyed the show, please do all the things podcasts usually ask you to. They really help. Tell a friend about the show, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, write a review on your favorite podcast app, and visit our website, ywahpod.com. That's ywahpod.com for updates on new episodes and our merch store. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, coffee mugs, stickers, and more. It all goes back into the podcast. We would love to hear what you thought of the episode. We just want to hear if there's something that we missed. You can reach us on Instagram and Twitter at ywahpod or directly via email at ywhpod at gmail.com. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Bible. And our theme music is by Hair Doctor. We'll see you next time.